from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 158 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague Ryan Dunleavy. And Sunday's Giants game at Tampa Bay against the Buccaneers will be historic because, of course, the big news of the week, Ryan, is that the Giants have benched Eli Manning. And for only the second time in the past 15 seasons, it will be someone other than Manning behind center at kickoff. And that, of course, is rookie number six overall pick, Daniel Jones, who makes his first career start in Tampa Bay. Um, certainly a lot to get into on this show. Certainly a lot of analysis to look back on the first two weeks and what could change in the next couple of weeks. But uh, just your reaction on Tuesday when we heard the news. My reaction on Tuesday was this is much sooner than I thought it would happen. My reaction right now is I can't believe Matt Lombardo made it 68 seconds without patting himself on the back for seeing for seeing the for calling this for being so far ahead that uh, you thought it would happen week three. It happened week three. I was hoping that I would get the attaboy from you. So I appreciate the helmet sticker. Thank you for that. And. And of course, if you like what you hear on the show, and if you would love to subscribe and hear more, of course, go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, check us out on Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and toss us a like on YouTube. And of course, leave those five-star reviews. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. It helps us grow the show. And follow us on Twitter. He's at R.Y. Dunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And now that everybody knows where you can find us, of course, Ryan, this is where I will take a victory lap for just a quick second here. Because ever since the preseason and ever since what we had heard from Pat Shermer at the podium and in conversations over the summer and watching Daniel Jones, it just became apparent to me that the line of demarcation for Eli Manning to move forward felt like 0-2. If the Giants were 0-2, it felt all along like Tampa Bay would be the start of the Daniel Jones era. Had Manning won a game against the Cowboys or the Bills, I thought that, you know, they would roll along with Manning for as long as he kept them competitive and kept them in games. But I think that Pat Shermer, the coaching staff, and obviously Dave Gettleman and John Mara saw what we saw, a Giants team that was 5-for-23 on third down, struggled to move the ball offensively, struggled to put together sustained drives after the first possession of each game, saw some misses on screen passes, saw some throws that should have been made, and I think they thought that this was the right time. And you've written about it, I've written about it. I don't think that this is a move for 2020 and 2021. They believe, and probably rightfully so, that Daniel Jones gives them the best chance to win games right here, right now, starting Sunday. Yeah, I think that's what it is, Matt. I think I think there's a common perception that when you bench your quarterback and you go to a rookie that you're throwing in the towel on the season, that you're giving up. It's more about the future than the present. I don't think that's what it is. I honestly think, they, look, Pat Shermer's 15 and what 15 and 36 as a head coach the seventh worst winning percentage of all time for coaches with 50 games Dave Gettleman has pretty much traded anybody on this team who had any kind of personality or star power they're neither one of those guys is completely safe in his job so they need to win some games I don't think they can throw in the towel on a season and I think honestly I think this is a move that tells you even Shermer even admitted it that they think today right now 
Daniel Jones gives them a better chance to win the game than Eli Manning. And essentially, Daniel Jones is better than Eli Manning right now. That's not a knock on his career. Uh, I'd like to discuss something I wrote this week on his Hall of Fame later in this podcast. But I, I just think right now it's a, it, it's a move for right now to put in Daniel Jones because after the preseason he had, after – the way he fits Shermer's offense, some things we haven't seen in it. This is a move that says we're going to win right. We're going to try to win right now. And man, uh, I went across the locker room. I asked some guys on the record privately, what do you think? What message does this send to the locker room? And they said that we're trying to win right now. Not, oh, we're moving towards next season. We're tanking. This is going to be the Dolphins. We're going to. A request a bunch of trades. Antoine Bethea is 35 years old. He Antoine Bethea might not have another season. He's not playing for next year. He's playing for right now. That's the only reason he's still in the NFL is to play for right now. And he wasn't, you know, shook up by this. So I think that says a lot. Yeah, I don't think that any of the players took this as tanking. And you, you talk to people, I talk to players on and off the record as well. Benny Fowler, I think, gave me the quote that spoke for the locker room. And, and of course, he was here through the preseason, took a lot of reps with the second team offense with Daniel Jones because Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate and Cody Latimer were running with the ones. And Fowler told me point blank that they thought and they believed Daniel Jones was ready to start week one. But because you have a 16-year veteran like Eli Manning, you roll with him and you see how it goes. So I, I don't get the sense that any of the players think that this is a tank move. I think that, first of all, Daniel Jones' performance where he averaged 12.3 yards per attempt, showed mobility, uh, completed 85% of his passes, didn't throw an interception in the preseason. I think that that, A, accelerated the timeline for the coaching staff to believe that he was ready to play in the regular season. And I think, B, it showed his teammates that you know, th th this kid has a lot of upside, and I think that there's going to be a bounce in the step of the offense. I think it's going to, uh, at least leading up to the game, and of course what happens in-game is going to determine how sustained this is. I think there's going to be some excitement from the players, and, and quite honestly, Ryan, I think that he's going to be a much better fit for this offense, because I wrote about it this week. I talked to several scouts, current and former, who told me that, first of all, the functional mobility to extend plays is something the Giants have lacked for the last several seasons. Eli Manning's arm strength over the last several seasons, both on deep balls and passes beyond the numbers on the outside, had just weakened to the point where it limits the playbook. Jones can make those throws. Jones can extend those plays. And I don't think it'll happen as early as Sunday. But I think we're going to come to a point during this season, Ryan, where the offense is going to look unrecognizable in its current form to what it becomes under Daniel Jones. Okay, now I want to move to Dave Gettleman. And I, the same topic. This is criminal mismanagement of a franchise. Let me, so Dave, I'm going to just tell you some of the things Dave Gettleman said. When we, when media was saying Eli Manning, you know, had, was pretty much finished, he said it was a false narrative. The idea that he can't play is a crock. Well, if you still believe that, if the media is spewing crocks, then why did you bench him after two games, Dave? I don't understand this. This is so bad, Matt. Let, let's break this down to for fans that don't understand this, okay? The Giants had Eli Manning and a seventeen million and a five million dollar cap, uh, five bonus. million dollar salary bonus. Thank you. Uh, in February, if they cut him before then, or if they just went to him and said, Eli, look, this isn't going to work. Why don't you retire? We don't want to cut you. Why don't you just retire? They could have saved $17 million in cap hits. 
Matt, how many defensive starters you get for uh, for seventeen million dollars? You're at least signing a competent pass rusher, and you're probably affording a middle of the road competent cornerback, bare minimum okay. with that money. Okay, bare so, minimum. Okay, so now you have a better team to put around whoever your quarterback is, whether it's Daniel Jones, who wasn't on the roster at the time, Kyle Laletta, uh, Josh McCown, whoever it is. Now you have a better team because your defense can maybe actually stop somebody. But no, you kept Eli Manning. Fine. I think you and I both thought that was the wrong decision. But for me, you went in on it. Okay, you're all in. You push your chips to the center of the table. Give Eli Manning six games, seven games, right? Why? Hold on. Because... It doesn't, this doesn't make any sense to me. You just brought back, you, now you have a $23 million salary cap hit on the bench. You either, you can't do this. It's what the Giants do, have been doing for three years, Matt. It's what they keep doing. You go one step to the left, one step to the right. You, you, you pay Odell Beckham $90 million, you trade him. You saw, you keep Eli Manning, you bench him after two games. It makes no sense. If you're committed to Eli Manning, if you spent $23 million to have Eli Manning on the team, then two games isn't enough. It's, you're not doing, you're not backing up your words. You're not backing up your actions. You're just, you're saying you're going to play him and then you're not playing him, that he shouldn't be on the team. You shouldn't have given him the money if you were going to pull the plug after two games. It makes no sense. You're either in on him or you're out on him. But when you go halfway, when you say we're going to play him, but only for two games, you end up with this situation where now you have no defensive players and you have a backup quarterback for $23 million. You want to te- one minute you want to brag about, oh, well, the season's not over at 0 and 2 because we won a Super Bowl in 2007. Forget the last five of the last six years where you started 0 and 2 and went nowhere. Back 12 years ago, we won a Super Bowl with. Michael Strahan and Justin Tuck and O.C. Humaniora and et cetera, et cetera, all these star power. You traded all your stars. So you want to say that it's not over at 0-2, then then why'd you bench Eli Manning? Well, because Daniel Jones gives because us the it best. It's over with Eli Manning. Well, then he shouldn't be on the team. Well, I agree. And and here's, here's where we're in lockstep. We're in lockstep that it was a mistake for Eli Manning to be a member of the New York Giants one minute after 4 p.m. on March 16th when the roster bonus came due for $5.5 million. That should have been the end. I wrote about this on Monday or Tuesday. I wrote that it was a one of the biggest mistakes made by any team in the NFL to bring Eli Manning back after week 17 of last year for all of the reasons that you cited, the cap space, the fact that you could have went out and built a better team, a better defense, maybe gone out and signed a a better right tackle, as well as Mike Remmers has played one of the premier right tackles in the league to put opposite of Nate Solder on the left side. You could have done any number of things with the cap space. But here's the problem. Had you not brought Eli Manning back, th- this is what you could have done. You could have rolled with Kyle Loretta or Alex Tanney or uh, a- any number of veteran backup quarterbacks, as you mentioned. And if Daniel Jones had outplayed that backup, no must, no fuss. He's your starter week one. The Eagles did it with Carson Wentz. They traded away Sam Bradford and Wentz started week one, and we saw how that worked out over a two-year period. He wasn't great his rookie year. He was an MVP candidate for 14 weeks before he got hurt, and the Eagles went to a Super Bowl in 2017. Had there not been this hand-wringing and this worrying about Eli Manning's legacy and orchestrating a dignified departure and all of these things surrounding Eli Manning and his tenure with the Giants, there's a chance that Daniel Jones could have started week one and who knows how those first two games would have went but 
now that you've been here, now that you've seen Eli Manning miss screen passes and hit Saquon Barkley in the back of the helmet, miss Evan Ingram on wheel routes, uh, get snuffed out by Leighton Van Der Esch on a fourth and one on a naked bootleg that was an ill-advised play call where he simply doesn't have the mobility to execute that play, now that you see all of that, you compound that mistake with every snap that Eli Manning takes beyond the first two games. Because now every snap matters, not only to improve uh, Pat Shermer's winning percentage, not only to try to change what has become a losing culture around the Giants team that is 0-2 for the sixth time in seven years, 20 games under 500 since that last Super Bowl, and a comparable record over the last three seasons to the Cleveland Browns. Now, it all becomes about trying to win football games and developing Daniel Jones. And the longer Eli Manning was the quarterback, the longer they prolonged the mistake of of bringing him back in the first place and delayed the evaluation of Jones and trying to win football games. So that's why you did it now. So to be clear, you think they brought him back out of loyalty, right? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. So where's the loyalty in two games? This is what I'm talking about. This is what they do. They make a decision and then they throw it away. We're going to be loyal to him. But two games isn't loyal. So you should have just been disloyal to him from the beginning. It just doesn't make any sense to me, Matt. It's just one step to the left. One step to the right. It's Are you all, saying he deserves to play longer? Is it's that what we're saying here? No, of course not. He didn't deserve to play any of these games. He shouldn't have been on the team. But the Giants are so worried about, like, proving the media narratives wrong. The narrative is, like, the most popular word you hear in East Rutherford. They're so worried about, oh, we know more than the media. Our resumes are better than the media. We're going to show the media that maybe they're not actually making the right decisions. Maybe the media actually knows what it's talking about. Like, maybe... Maybe if you're just independent, I think the problem with the Giants is they can't self-assess right now. I don't think the Giants are doing a very good job of self-assessing. They thought last year they could make a playoff run. They started one and seven, and then it all it was always a rebuilding year. No, it wasn't always a rebuilding year. You don't sign Nate Solder uh, for a rebuilding year. You don't sign Jonathan Stewart for a rebuilding year. Oh, this year, we're, you can win and rebuild at the same time. Those that. That is an exact quote Dave Gettleman said. You can win and rebuild. You can win and build for the future at the same time. No, you can't. You literally can't do it. The only team who can do it is the Yankees because they spend a billion dollars in a sport with no salary cap. And the Patriots. But they have Tom Brady. Well, sure. <laughs> so you're sure. never, you're never building, building on the fly, though. You know, they're adding players and they're replacing players every year. And, of course, you have the best head coach and the best quarterback to ever play yeah. the game. So that accelerates the process. I get that. Uh, but but my thing is, I, I don't believe after the Giants paid Eli Manning $5.5 million, they owed him anything. They didn't owe him one snap to start this season. If he was outplayed, which he was during training camp in the preseason, we talked about it all summer. I believed that Daniel Jones should have played week one against the Dallas Cowboys. And I think deep down, part of Pat Shermer believed it too. And once Elaine Manning proved that while the defense is the biggest issue and people listening and people already banging out their angry, angry tweets and their angry emails to me saying it's not Eli Manning's fault, I agree. The defense it's is the fault. Is at fault here. Uh, you know, DeAndre Baker has a 25 overall grade and a 24.4 coverage grade. There's the issue with why the Giants are 0 2. But anybody with two eyes who have watched these games cannot tell me that Eli Manning has done anything to elevate the offense. Sure, there have been drops, but there have also been missed throws. He had two interceptions against the Bills. You look at the, the inability on third down, which is exasperated by the inability on first and second down to move the ball 
forward. Eli Manning has not elevated the players around him. So because of that, this is why the change was made. And I think that had he played longer, it would have just further dug the Giants down a hole of caring so much about the legacy and so little about wins and losses that you're delaying whatever chance to build your offense around Daniel Jones that you had. And I think that it would have accelerated Pat Shermer's time out of here as the losses continued to mount. Let's just be clear about something. You seem to think I'm saying they owed it to Eli Manning. They didn't owe anything to Eli Manning. They're paying Eli Manning. They owed it to their ridiculous own idea that they had a plan. They owed, if they really think they had a plan, they owed it to the plan, not to Eli Manning. They owed it to the plan that Eli Manning was going to be our quarterback and we're going to rebuild and try to win at the same time. And the Kansas City model. Remember the Kansas City model, Matt? That, what is the Kansas City model? Sit the guy for almost a full season so he can learn behind Eli Manning. All the Kansas City mail to talk just blew up in two games. Two games. You have no plan. Just say it. You have no plan. You're just winning right. The it. mistake That's was what bringing him back. Eli Manning should not have been on this roster this year. But Pat Shermer said that it was incumbent on Eli Manning to win football games to keep his job, and that hadn't happened. He has not played well enough to win football games. The offense has been stuck in neutral the first two weeks. And, and, and my thought is that if that's the case, and if you, you look at what's in front of you and you see Daniel Jones, listen, they very well might have believed when they took Daniel Jones at six – over Josh Allen and Ed Oliver, who are dynamic playmakers on defense, and we saw what Allen did last night in the Thursday night game. We saw firsthand what Ed Oliver is capable of in that game last week. The moment they took Daniel Jones, they probably believed that the Kansas City model was in play with Jones and that that was the best way to develop a quarterback. But I think Jones coming in playing as well as he did through training camp and in the preseason games, it accelerated the timeline. And I think that he forced their hand to get him on the field as Manning did by the limitations that showed up on film against Dallas and again against the Buffalo Bills. Sounds like you're saying the Giants are good at realizing they made a mistake and correcting it. And you know what? I would agree with that because they cut Patrick Omame last year. They cut Eric Flowers last year. They cut Jonathan Stewart this offseason. How about this? Stop making the mistake. Do a better job of assessing the original problems. How about that? I'll, I'll go a step further, and I have, I have no new reporting to back this up. But I have a feeling that the column that received so many angry tweets, comments, and other things when I said that Pat Shermer and John Mara might not be on the same page might have been right because my sense is that Pat Shermer could not wait to get Daniel Jones on the field. And if this was truly his decision and he made it after two weeks, who's to say that John Mara didn't acquiesce to Pat Shermer's you know, desires to get Daniel Jones on the field? Right. And who's to say that Eli Manning did not start the first two games because in John Mara's perfect world on August 15th or whatever day it was that he gave that state of the team press conference that he didn't think that Daniel Jones should play because they brought Eli Manning back and they owed it to Eli Manning. I'm just saying that I think the head coach might be more motivated by his record and what he's seen over the first 18 games of his time in New York to play Daniel Jones and move on from Eli Manning than the Giants ever were. No, I look, I totally agree. I just think you can go back to the press conference on Wednesday, Matt, and Shermer said he went to Mara and Gettleman and said, I want to make this change. And they said, are you sure? So that's that. So that tells you right there. 
that it was Shermer's decision and that they Shermer was ahead of Gettleman and Maron. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. And you know what? Good for Shermer for you know what? He he's accountable. The coach is the one accountable for wins and losses. So he if he's gonna go down, he might as well go down with his own guy. You know what I mean? Good for him for having the uh the initiative to start this because it was always going to be hard. The last coach who tried to do this got fired three days later. So uh, good for him for trying I'll go to a step do. Good further. for him for I'll recognizing. Go a step further. What he I don't to think do. he wanted to go down because of their guy. That that's my take on this. My take is he yeah. did not want to go down because of Eli Manning's limitations. And, and and again, save your angry tweets, save your angry emails. Look back at Pat Shermer as a play caller with the Minnesota Vikings We're on RPOs, run pass options. Case Keenum kept the ball 23% of those RPOs. That's over a quarter of the run pass options. The Giants DVOA on play action passes and D and, and RPO plays. You got to tell you, Matt, you got to tell it's people an, what it's DVOA a, and it's means. an advanced uh, analytics stat that uh, it's a method of evaluating teams, units, and players. Every play during the NFL season compares each one to a league average based on that situation. So the Giants were below average and in negative territory on RPOs and play-action passes last season with Eli Manning. So you look at Pat Shermer's playbook, you look at what he needs his quarterback to do, and I think that he saw what Eli Manning can't do and realized it was time to go to Daniel Jones. Now, Jones has to go out and prove him right. He needs to go out to prove to him that he can beat Leighton Van Der Esch to that down marker uh, against the Cowboys. He's, he needs to go out and prove that he can hit on the play action because everybody wants to talk about taking Saquon Barkley number two overall being a mistake and that running backs aren't valued. Well, here's the thing. Say what Saquon Barkley does in the run game and the passing game is terrific. You saw him account for over 2,000 yards from scrimmage last year. Um, this year, he's on a, an even bigger pace, over 100 yards rushing in each of the first two weeks. But he becomes more valuable as a weapon in the RPO and in the play-action pass situations. And if you can hit on the pass off of the play action, it makes him more dangerous. It makes the offense more dangerous. And just going back to that five for 23 on third down real quick, Ryan, it's not just the fact that on third and 12, Eli Manning threw a six-yard pass. It's what happens when it's third and six and you move the chains on the next play, Saquon Barkley runs for a touchdown. If Eli Manning wasn't able to make that third and six throw and Daniel Jones is, you've given yourself an extra opportunity for a Saquon Barkley touchdown or a big offensive play. It's just how close the Giants offense might be. Now, Jones has to go out and prove it. But what you saw through the first two weeks was that Eli Manning was struggling to extend those drives and give the Giants extra opportunities to score in a league where scoring is at an all-time high. So you flip. That's a great point about scoring. The Giants are scoring less than ever in a league where Gardner Minshew is ripping it up. Um, you seem to think the biggest change we're going to see from a Daniel Jones era is that you're going to see more RPOs. Here's what I think the biggest change is. And I'm not. And look, this shouldn't be. If you read my writing and if you listen to this podcast, you should know Matt is more of an X's and O's guys than I am. Here's what I would say about my, what I think the biggest change you're going to see in the offense is. I think on third and nine, you're going to see, see a pass thrown nine yards or 10 yards or I, I 11 agree. yards or 12 yards or, or maybe 30 yards. I think that is the bit. I'm not so much worried about the RPOs and because I think in today's NFL, 
unless you're blazing fast like Lamar Jackson, I don't know how realistic the RPO is, honestly, too. I think, you know, you run it a couple times here and there, keep a defense off bounds. I don't know that it can be a bulk of your offense. But I do know this. On th- the Giants are pathetic. They're 0-12 on, for, on third and long. They're pathetic on third and long. So – and they've been pathetic on third and long last year. And you should be bad on third and long. That's why it's third and long. But you shouldn't be incapable on third on third and long. And the Giants on third and nine throw five-yard passes. And we're going to find out right now if that's Pat Shermer's play calling, if he has too many routes running be, uh, short of the sticks and counting on guys to make you miss. And you know what? You can do that with maybe Evan Ingram or Saquon Barkley or this guy named Odell Beckham. But you can't count on Benny Fowler and Russell Shepard and Cody Latimer and uh, TJ Jones to break tackles and turn a five-yard pass into uh, the nine yards you need on third and long. So I think we're going to see the ball actually travel to the sticks because I think that was Eli checking down and not Shermer's play calling. And I think we're going to see Daniel Jones, right or wrong. I don't even know. I think he's going to take some chances probably that he shouldn't take. He probably There are probably times checking down is the right answer. But I think we're going to see Daniel Jones be aggressive enough to put the ball past the sticks. And I agree try with to that get as well. And I think extended. that you're going to see the playbook thrown wide open. And it's not just the RPO. It's pushing the ball deep downfield. Not, I'll acknowledge the Giants don't have that field stretcher right now. Maybe Darius Slayton, if he gets on the field in the next couple of weeks, develops into that because of his speed. But I think it's Evan Ingram. And, and you look at Evan Ingram's Maybe. volume of work. He leads the Giants in targets. He leads the Giants uh, receiving core, quote unquote, uh, in receptions. So far, he's been targeted 20 22 times, a team high. He has 17 receptions, team high. He has 164 yards, team high. And him and Cody Cor- or TJ Jones, rather, are the only two players to catch touchdown passes for the Giants so far this season. So you look at all of that, and I think that he's your best chance to stretch the field. And I think that you're going to see him develop into that security blanket for Daniel Jones and also the guy when Jones takes the chance that he's going to try to fit the ball to downfield. So between the RPOs, throwing to the sideline and pushing the ball deep. I think those are all areas where Daniel Jones is going to change this offense. And like I said, I talked to, to scouts this week, and the one thing they said is, you know, he needs to change his delivery point. And, and everybody's all excited about Daniel Jones. I'm excited to see what the offense becomes. Uh, but the one thing we need to see, Ryan, is if you remember back during a stretch of practices in August where Jones kept getting the ball batted down in practice, it happened for two or three days, uh, a scout told me that, you know, his release point was too low. And Aaron Rodgers had this same struggle in the beginning in Green Bay. They needed to raise his release point. So let's see on Sunday if the ball is coming out higher, uh, if he can avoid having those balls batted down by a very aggressive Buccaneers defense. And if he throws the ball into trouble, how aggressive is he? It's one thing to throw into a tight window in the preseason, and I was very impressed with those throws. But let's see what happens when he does it against a defense that's actually game planning for him, knows his tendencies or is trying to figure out his tendencies, what kind of success he has on Sunday and the rest of the way versus what we saw in August. Yeah, and here's another thing that worries me about Daniel Jones. He has four fumbles in 65 snaps, including the one series against the Cowboys and all the preseason. Look, he... He, I don't think he threw an interception Correct. all preseason, right? And I think, and he threw what, maybe two and three in training camp in what thirty practices that we watched. He's very good at 
not throwing interceptions. I think that's one thing I came away from August with. But the fumbling is going to drive people crazy. He is going. He had 13 fumbles in 36 college games. That's not a good number. So uh, he said he's not worried about it. He understands the importance of ball security. He understands how to hold the ball, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he's going to again. This is why you play him as a rookie. So that if he does have a fumbling problem, he gets it out in eight games of a season where you're going nowhere, not the first eight games of next year where maybe you've added some players. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's why getting him on the field is so important. It's not just about trying to win now. It's about trying to correct the mistakes, have him take his lumps. You look at uh, Josh Allen and the Bills. They're in a position to compete for a playoff spot this year because of Allen's growing pains last season. Lamar Jackson is quarterbacking one of the more dynamic offenses in the entire league. Uh, you, You look at other quarterbacks who were taken early. Sam Darnold, obviously an exception at this point because of the mono and him being out. That was unforeseen, but the Jets got him on the field week one last year. Wentz and Goff played almost immediately their rookie seasons. You saw what they did in their first two or three seasons. So the trend is playing young quarterbacks and pairing them with young running backs, Barkley and Jones, Goff and Gurley. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and I think that the Giants, they're, they're moving forward rather than looking back. No, I, yeah, that's probably true. But let you, why don't you and I look back for a sec? Matt, Eli Manning, I'm going to put you in the room. I'm going to give you one of the 48 esteemed Hall of Fame votes. Yes or no? Eli Manning, a Hall the of Fame. The first time around? I mean, it depends who he goes up against. And I, you, you, is he, a, is he a, is, is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? You know what a Hall of Famer looks like. Man, I'm not saying the first time. Maybe there's, you know, maybe he, the first time he's up against Larry Fitzgerald and Jason Witten and just guys you have to get in. Is he a Hall of Famer within the first five uh, years of his eligibility? Well, the first five years of his eligibility, I, I think he gets in somewhere around year four or year five. Um, do I think he's a Hall of Famer over Larry Fitzgerald, Jason Witten, uh, Rob Gronkowski, no. no, any of those guys? Pro- probably Adrian Peterson, Patrick Peterson, probably not. Certainly not over Tom Brady, probably not over Ben Roth. Burger. Um, but I think he eventually gets in after four or five ballots. I, I, I give you, first of all, a lot of credit for the story, and people should go read it, where you surveyed the people who are actually in the room and will have votes. And it's not the slam dunk that Giants fans expected to be. Yeah. Yeah. So let me talk about this. I, I reached out to 39 of the 40. Well, I reached out to all 48 members uh, who will vote on. Uh, the Hall of Fame committee, and it's mostly um, NFL media, two guys who are actually in the Hall of Fame, James Lofton and Dan Fouts, two former players. Dan Fouts, actually a quarterback who's two games over 500 in his record uh, in his career. And I reached out to them with two questions right now. Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame or out of the Hall of Fame? Do he have your vote or he doesn't? 11 people, and I give I gave them anonymity because the vote is anonymous when it actually happens. 11 of the committee members said, yes, he has my vote. 10 said no. Uh, 9 said undecided, need more time to figure it out. 9 declined to vote, and 9 didn't answer, which is a pretty, you know, down the middle split. And it was alarming to me. I got to tell you, because I thought it would be undecided. I thought I would get, I don't know, 25 undecideds. I was stunned at how many people said no right now. Like, there's nothing. Elon Manning's on the bench. He might never play another game ever for anybody. He might not ever play another snap. So he's not adding to his resume. And if you're a hard no on Eli Manning right now, 
I don't know, maybe time is good to you over time. Maybe like Andre Dawson or Harry Carson, you get in the Hall of Fame when people are less in the moment about how bad the Giants are right now. Maybe over that five-year waiting period, you know, you see quarterback numbers start to come back down to earth and you realize you just happen to be watching a golden age. Who knows what can happen in that waiting well, period? Ryan, that why do you tell people period? why the over uh, nine votes of no is important? Because people hear those numbers and they think, oh, well, he has more yes votes than no votes. Tell people why, why it's so important point. that so many people voted no. Good point. So here's how it works. There's a hundred nominees then it gets narrowed to 25 finalists and 15 finalists. Then they essentially no more than five modern era cl- candidates can be inducted in any class. That's the maximum. And to be inducted, you need 80% of the vote. So he already has 10 no's out of 48, which is more than 20%, which means right now he can't get in unless those committee members change or those people that are hard no's change their mind to yes. He already has two no's, uh, too many no's before the undecideds, before the people who declined to participate, before the people who didn't answer. He already has too many no's, which is really, really surprising to me because I, if I had a vote, would put him in. And I thought most people would put him in. Uh, given you know, given the Super Bowls, given the, the fact, given his last name, given uh, a lot of the you know, given Man of the Year, given a lot of the given his clutch performances, his four best games were two NFC championships, two Super Bowls, an all-time win, kind of like Joe Namath, who you know had obviously one of the all-time wins, all-time upsets in NFL history. Well, Eli Manning might have all-time upset number two, beating the undefeated Patriots. I thought he'd be in, but look, the reason I did this survey in the first place was because I thought it would be undecided, and I thought, and I was right. I thought. Being 116 and 116 would hurt him. The The idea that he has a 500 career record, I thought would hurt him. There's only two quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame with losing records, uh, Namath and Sonny Jurgensen. Both of those guys retired in the 70s. That's a long time ago. The next up guys up would be like Warren Moon and Dan Fouts, who are just a couple games over 500. So uh, Manning's either going to be Namath and Jurgensen and be in with a non-winning record, or he's going to Jim be Jim Plunkett, the only guy who's won two, the only quarterback who's won Ryan, two Super Bowls. Ryan, you asked a question of isn't. what happens during that five-year waiting period that could change people's minds. And what happens is people remember the two Super Bowl MVP performances against the Patriots, and they forget the fact that he was 20 games under 500 since the Super Bowl and that he was a 500 quarterback and that he climbed the passing yards rankings and the passing touchdown rankings by hanging on for five years where he was under 500 as a starting quarterback. That, that That's the hope for people who would like to see Eli Manning in and, of course, for Eli Manning, the Manning family, to get him into the Hall of Fame. Where I think he's going to struggle is that he's going to go up against some of the all-time greats to play the sport from his era when he's eligible. And you can talk about the names, and we, we, we already mentioned some of them. But I think what people have to remember, and I spoke to several, several people who were in the room as well, who I know through the business and, and are personal friends of mine, how much is being a quarterback weighted against another position player? And the unanimous response was, unless you're Joe Montana, Tom Brady, or John Elway, it really isn't. If you're a modern-day candidate, you're judged against other modern-day candidates. And Eli Manning is going to face 
um, some of the all-time greats to play the game when he's eligible. And I wrote about this as a, a companion piece to yours that had Manning retired in 2014, I think there's a better chance that he gets in. It's, it's, a, it's a stronger resume. It's two Super Bowls over the final five years of his career. Um, his record improves dramatically um, to 91 and 76. He'd have thrown 259 touchdowns and 185 interceptions, and his passer rating would be 82.4. Those are still Hall of Fame caliber numbers, um, but you wouldn't have the losing record. You wouldn't have um, the six 0-2 starts in seven seasons. You wouldn't have six out of seven seasons not making the postseason. And I think that hanging on, Eli Manning is going to be viewed by a faction of people in that room as a stat compiler. And I don't think that stat compilers among Pro Football Hall of Fame voters are looked at very favorably. And that's where I think the case for Manning becomes complicated and one of the reasons why he'll struggle to get in. I think, again, save your angry emails and tweets. I think Eli Manning eventually gets in. It's just going to take longer than people expected um, watching him play and now upon his benching. Yeah, I agree. I think he gets in. I would put him in. I don't think he's a first ballot guy. I do think I do think he should be. I think in. he'll get so, in around the same uh, time as when you that, put in someone like Philip Rivers, and you you have to clear the backlog of of a position. I mean, yeah. you know, look look at the safety position. In consecutive years, you had Brian Dawkins, Ed Reed, and this year Troy Polamalu's up for the first time. You have some some great safeties that you need to get in. Uh, for yeah. a while, there was a log jam of wide receivers, and Tim Brown didn't get in right away yeah. because other great receivers with championships got in, even though he might have had better numbers, I think the flip side is going to affect Manning. He doesn't have the numbers, but he has the championships. Um, and, and I think that he's going to be one of those guys that when they clear the deck of the quarterbacks of this era, he'll get in on the back end. But he's not going to get in before Tom Brady. I don't think he gets in before Ben Roethlisberger. And again, those are just the quarterbacks. But, but, but he might get in before them if Tom Brady plays three more years. That's what it almost would help Eli is if he retired at the end of this season and Rodgers is still going and Brady's still going and Breeze comes back and Rivers comes back, Roethlisberger comes back. That might actually help Eli sneak in is if he's the first of all these quarterbacks to retire, which means Again, he's we the have first to see one, one other guy retire. If, if Adrian Peterson retires after this season and Larry Fitzgerald retires after this season and Eli Manning retires after yeah. this season, two of the five spots are already filled by surefire first ballot guys. Is he? Not not to mention guys yeah. who might be on their second ballot when Eli Manning is up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying quarterback wise, he might he might be helped to get out yeah, before it, all it the might other be. quarterbacks. Um so obviously that's gonna be a complicated case that people are gonna be talking about for the next six, seven years. Um however much longer Eli Manning plays, however long he waits on the ballot to get in. Um but certainly in the much nearer term, it's Sunday's game. And yeah. Hold on. Hold on one sec. Let's wrap up Eli with this, and then we'll get to the game. Does Eli Manning, true or false, Eli Manning plays another snap for no, the Giants this season? Because I don't think Daniel Jones gets hurt. And if Daniel Jones gets hurt, I think that changes things. But once once Daniel Jones is in there, I don't think there's any going back to Eli Manning because you're either going to sink or swim with Jones. If you sink, then you know you have to draft uh, you know, Tua or you have to draft Justin Herbert or you need to draft one of the quarterbacks. And if you swim, you have your guy – to build around in 2020 and make a push for a division title. I disagree. I think Eli Manning plays 
in the season finale at home against the uh, Eagles. I don't know if he starts it. I don't know if he finishes it, but he plays in that game as a swan song. True or false, Eli Manning plays in 2020 Because I I don't get the sense that he's going to want to play somewhere else, and I don't know that he's going to want to go be a backup somewhere else because there certainly, I don't believe, is going to be a starting job for him because the teams that need quarterbacks are going to draft quarterbacks. And I think that there are enough young quarterbacks in this league on the cusp of taking the reins of their franchise. I don't know that there's a spot for him to be a starter anywhere else. Correct. I I think Eli Manning truthfully would go somewhere else and play in 2020 to get that fulfillment like Joe Montana. That closure is probably the word closure to. uh, No, I'm a huge Friends fan. So closure like Ross and Rachel. Joe Montana Um, went to the playoffs with the Chiefs. He was still he was still playing at a relatively high level at the time that he was traded. Correct. I'm just saying, look, I'm just saying he didn't have to go to the Chiefs. He could have finished his career with the 49ers, said, I'm just going to be a 49er for the rest. I'm done. I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm done. I I don't want to wear another uniform. Joe Namath could have done the same thing. Uh, Peyton Manning could have done the same thing. I'm done. My neck, I'm done. I don't need to play for the Broncos. I'm done. I want a Super Bowl with the Coats. I think Eli would do that. But I agree with you. I don't think he wants to be a backup, and there are too many young quarterbacks. It's a golden era for young quarterbacks, and I don't think there's anybody who's going to want to hand the job to a 39-year-old. Yeah, and, and that's year. why so. you, know, people, you know people have been critical this week of me writing this story on Tuesday, but the immediate thought was, would Eli Manning waive his no-trade clause, and would the Giants be able to trade him? Would he waive he his no-trade? Certainly. Will there be a market for him uh, to, to go somewhere? I don't believe so. I've spoken to people around the league. The Jacksonville Jaguars have no interest, and you saw uh, Gardner Minshew on Thursday night prove why. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they're excited about Mason Rudolph, and I think for good reason. The, the, the only reason they would trade for Eli Manning is if he is going to be a backup, and I don't think that he waives his no trade to be a backup somewhere, just like I don't think he signed somewhere uh, to be a backup in 2020. Um, you look around the Jets. People have you know, half-kiddingly said, why don't the Giants trade him to the Jets? Here's the deal with the Jets. He's 38 years old, right? They drafted Sam Darnold last year. They traded up to get Sam Darnold. Darnold's going to miss maybe four more weeks. If they traded Eli Manning today, it's probably going to take a week for Manning to get up to speed in his offense. Are they really going to pay him $10, $12 million against the cap to, to start four games? That's not sound business. The only way... And the... And the Jets, right. and the Jets right. stink. They're not going anywhere. The, the the Steelers might salvage a playoff spot. The Saints might salvage a playoff spot. Jacksonville might yeah, salvage the, a playoff spot. The, the Jets stink. They're not going to the playoffs. And the Saints and have their Teddy offensive line who's stinks. a better option right now than Eli Manning. And the only team that I think makes a modicum of sense is that if Cam Newton is truly done. If Cam Newton, uh, this foot injury and the hangover from the shoulder injury from a year ago is the end of Cam Newton, the only team that makes sense, in my opinion, is the Carolina Panthers because they have the magical need of needing a quarterback, potentially, and the cap space. The cap space is a big factor here. And if you want to restructure Eli Manning, that means that you need to add another year to that contract to move the money to. So you're asking a team to make a two-year-plus commitment to a guy who's going to be 39 years old next year. It's not happening. So I don't believe that Eli Manning is going to get traded, barring some sort of catastrophe for a playoff-needy team that has cap space. And look around. There aren't many of those teams with the cap space to make it work. 
All right, yeah. football game. Uh, we have a football game to talk about uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I picked the Giants to get their first win uh, in large part because of Daniel Jones and uh, the boost that he, he has the potential to give them from an excitement factor and from a schematic factor. Uh, your quick thoughts looking ahead to the game, Ryan, and do you have the Giants winning or losing? No, I have them losing 31-20. Uh, I've been beating this drum since April or May. The defense isn't stopping anybody. Until the de- you Look, I was wrong on this, Matt. I said, until the Giants bench Eli Manning, I'm not going to believe that Eli Manning's not going to be the quarterback. I'm not going to believe that <laughs> they're going to do something they have never – Never done. I've never shown any willingness to do. I thought he'd be the quarterback till they were out of the playoff picture. Well, until the Giants defense stops somebody, I'm not going to believe they're capable of stopping somebody. I uh, They stopped them for f- the Bills for four straight possessions uh, over the second and third quarters on last week. And then you know what? When it was like, all right, it's 21-14. Just get a stop. You have a chance to win the game. What the Bills do? They marched right down the field. They went right at Janoris Jenkins, not even one of the rookies. <laughs> and had no problem getting a touch. They actually got a field goal. Giants committed a self-inflicted wound penalty to- on Dexter Lawrence. Touchdown. So when the defense actually needed to make a play, couldn't make a play, which has kind of been the Giants' theme for you know pretty much every year of those six years they don't go to the playoffs other than the 16 team where the defense was exceptionally good, and then they made the playoffs. So until the defense can stop somebody, I'm not going to believe they can stop Jameis Winston, who last year, by the way, came off the bench and threw three touchdowns against the Giants, almost led a huge comeback after the Giants built a huge lead on the Bucks and Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I have no confidence that the secondary is going to stop Jameis Winston. I do think the offense will be better with Jones. I picked 20 points, which would be a season high. Yeah, I, I have the Giants winning. Uh, I think I picked 23-21 when I sent you my pick. Um, I, I look at this, and it's it's the beginning of the Giants playing complementary football. A, a good offense that can keep a defense off the field is going to help the defense. And if you can score points, that forces the other team to maybe get out of their comfort zone a little bit. I think you start to see the beginning of that on Sunday, and I don't think the Giants are automa- you know suddenly going to be a top-five defense or a top-five passing defense in the league. They don't have the personnel to do it, but I think they have, and I think they're close enough offensively, based on what we saw the first two weeks, that a quarterback change is going to make the difference on offense. Um, but, but let's let's just you know put this out there: if the Giants win on Sunday. It's a historical outlier, and I wrote about this for for Saturday morning on the site. That rookie quarterbacks all time against Todd Bowles as a head coach or an off, or a defensive coordinator are one and eight all time. The only rookie quarterback to ever beat a Todd Bowles defense was Baker Mayfield in the Browns last year against a Jets team that was simply overmatched talent wise. This is a very good, very aggressive uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. And Baker didn't even start that game. Baker didn't even start that game, actually. So yeah, he and, came and off the bench a big to game win that in the, game. A big second half of that game. Um, so so you look at Todd Bowles' history. Uh, passer rookie passers have a fifty six percent completion percentage against Todd Bowles' defenses. He blitzed last year 40% of his snaps. The Giants' offensive line is going to have their work cut out for them, and Jones is going to have uh, his work cut out for him as well. But again, I think that what we saw in the preseason is a glimpse of what Jones has the chance to be. And if he plays anywhere close to that level, uh, I think he is good enough and the Giants' offense is close enough to do what they have to do to score 23-plus points, which should be good enough to beat the Buccaneers. Yeah, so... 
We find how many podcasts have we done on the Giants quarterback situation? It's uh, spec. Who's the next guy going to be? When should he play? What should they do with Eli? We're going to have to actually talk some football. Yeah, I think that we tie a bow on the Eli Manning conversation, barring any sort of news, and this becomes an X's and O's podcast, and this becomes well. It becomes until they're 0-7 or 1-9. But, but, I, but I don't think they get there. I, 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 here's my bold prediction, Ryan, uh, that, that that after next oh week God. against Washington, the Giants are 2-2. Two and two. And if they're 2-2 two and two in the NFC East with a banged-up Eagles team and a Washington team that looks ready to pull the plug at any moment on Case Keenum, you're in the mix for a wild card at 2-2. Two and two. Yeah. Just to be clear, Matt and I are not in the same place doing this podcast. If it works, it'll be a technological miracle. Uh, so I can't actually see you. Are you actually wearing a Daniel Jones jersey right now? Or Two and two. Wow, a two and oh start for Daniel Jones. Uh, I, uh, for all I know, Matt's in his pajamas, but it sounds like he's in a Daniel yeah, Jones I have, t-shirt. I have the jersey going. I have the number eight jersey going. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it sounds like. Homer, Matt, everybody, start sending him your emails. Tell him hey, that, how that, much you that love. That tide him. is going to turn pretty quickly. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Ryan, I'm looking forward to Tampa yeah. Bay. Looking forward yeah. to uh, some sunshine and some warmth. Any part, uh, parting shots before we get out of here? No, I'm looking for. I think. Look, here's what I think. We were looking at another dead giant season, and now there's a reason. For people who aren't just you and I going to the games, there's a reason for yeah, the Giants fans this. to watch the game. Sunday is the most important game the rest of the way. Because if you're 0-3, it's over. If you win this game, if Daniel Jones wins this game, then you have a conversation about competing again. That, that That's what's at stake here. And, I, and I'm not going to go so far to say that Daniel Jones, if they win on Sunday, rectifies the mistake of not playing him the first two weeks. But it's the first step towards, towards turning the page. And maybe this team starts to grow the culture that they've been talking about ever since they traded away Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, Odell. All love, yeah, brother. All love, That's his brother. message to Eli Manning upon his benching. Again, we appreciate you listening. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store. Throw us a like on YouTube. Check us out on iHeartRadio. Follow the show on Twitter at TalkIsCheapNYG. Ryan is at RY Dunleavy, and I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Ryan, I'll see you in Tampa Bay. 